You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 773 of the Locked On Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland, coming to you on a Sunday evening into Monday morning to start the week off with some Hawks content. And uh, before we get started today, I wanted to plug last week's episodes. There were three different shows last week, including a deep dive interview that was uh, a lot of fun with good friend of the program, Tower Jones. So if you missed any of that or anything on the uh, podcast in the last several months, you can catch up with us and subscribe today. I, re- I definitely recommend doing that. And thank you, as always, for listening to the podcast. Today's episode is going to be a little bit of news at the top and then a continuation of Thursday or Friday, whenever you listen to that podcast, uh, our last show, which was some mailbag questions. I, I t- took a couple a couple more that I wanted to hit on today, so uh, we'll end the podcast with a couple of more questions from the listeners. Um, first and foremost, though, there was reporting from ESPN's Adrian Wojnarowski on Saturday morning about the NBA draft and some timeline changes. Nothing that is earth-shattering, I have to say, at the top here, but certainly uh, any news that we could talk about right now, we will definitely go ahead and do that. Um, First, the draft was previously scheduled for October 15th. Of course, it was moved from late June and its normal perch to October 15th as part of the league's announcement of the return to play um, plans that they made um, for Orlando, et cetera, et cetera. But according to that report from Adrian Wojnarowski, the date is now shifting to October 16th, which is the following day. Obviously, that, that one-day change is not a major one on the surface, but they, it's going from a Thursday night to a Friday night, as well as giving um, the teams that are playing in, uh, in the playoffs and making deep runs to the finals an extra day of rest, or at least preparation. Um, NBA Finals this year could run until October 12th, so the turnaround is already tight, um, but a little bit, a little bit less so with this change. Also, and I think probably more importantly, when it comes to the date change, this gets the NBA away from the NFL on draft night. Provided the NFL is actually playing at that point in time as scheduled, um, there is a game scheduled for that Thursday um, that uh, actually features Patrick Mahomes, which is the biggest name in the NFL right now. And then beyond that, there's also a presidential debate that same day. Um, so that's a very, very bad TV night for the NBA draft to be landing on. So um, I would recommend, if nothing else, just to avoid that, um, pit, those pitfalls and the ratings disaster that would probably happen there for the NBA, to go ahead and move off of that day. And I think they found um, that was probably the reason. I'm not sure that's that no one's reported that, but just common sense would tell you that's probably why they moved off that date um, as the most prominent reason. Um, the draft is traditionally on a Thursday in June, of course, but with the October date, it, w- it would not be great for the ratings regardless. So uh, by the way, also, this is the first time that the NBA draft will, will be on a Friday since 1978, so far before I was even born. So definitely a new thing, but Friday night in October is better than Thursday night in October under normal circumstances even, and then you throw in the uh, presidential uh, debate plus a, a pretty good NFL game, and you could see why they wanted to move off of that date. Uh, in addition to that change, which is, the uh, I guess, the most headline-worthy one, but still not the most major, uh, Woj also reports that the potential early entry candidates for the draft this year, so guys that, guys that declare before they were required to do so. We'll have until August 17th to declare to declare if they are uh, that they are indeed entering the draft. So the early entry deadline usually or this year was um, on April 26th for the June 25th original start date for the draft. But this moves that window of about 60 days to where the draft actually is now in October. Also, the NBA set its withdrawal deadline for the draft 
to October 6th, which is 10 days before the actual draft is, takes place. That deadline is largely for international players, uh, just because of the NCAA factors in here. And the NCAA has its own deadline, which if guys are, are planning on going back to college, they have to follow the NCAA's rules until they are definitely done with college. And uh, the NCAA deadline, as of right now, is August 3rd. So that, that's a pretty big change, obviously. Um, and that will impact college eligibility if that stays in place and does not move. And we'll see what happens with that in the future, um, nothing further about the combine at this point, but ESPN's Jonathan Gavoni also uh, reported that anyone who is not who has already declared for the draft will not have to do so again. But if they, if, if, but if players applied and have already withdrawn, they can still change their mind between now and August 17th. So that's something to keep in mind. Also, there's a lot of uncertainty, I have to say, around college sports, uh, really sports in general. To be to be fair. But college sports even probably more so because they don't have that same sort of unilateral bargaining and planning processes that um, you know baseball does or basketball does or, or the NFL does. Um, I think there are definitely some guys who should consider entering the draft that have not done that already. Um, some of the better returning players might want to go ahead and go to the draft instead of maybe risking not having college season at all, for instance. Um, I'm not sure how much weight there is putting on those for those players, but it would not stun me if a couple of guys decided, look, Maybe there won't be college basketball this year. Maybe it might be good for me to make some money and go pro, go pro in some avenue between now and then. Um, elsewhere in that same reporting from ESPN, there was an NBA memo that Wojnarowski unearthed that also says free agency negotiations can begin officially at 6 p.m. on October 18th. The 18th was already the date that was reported to be the start of free agency, but this is essentially the, ninth, uh, the 19th under the way that it used to work in the old model and the normal time cycle, which... For as a refresher here, free agency last year started technically at 6 p.m. Eastern time on June 30th, and then that le- that leads into the traditional July 1st date. There's also a moratorium on deals, as there usually is this year. This year, instead of instead of it being in early July, it's that deals can't be signed until noon Eastern on October 23rd, according to the reporting. So that kind of mirrors the normal timeline, but worth pointing that out as well. And uh, last thing here, this is not necessarily draft-related. In fact, it's not draft-related at all. But um, ESPN reports that there, will, that there will be a one-week transaction window starting at 12 p.m. Eastern time on June 23rd and then ending at midnight on June 30th, in which all 30 teams can waive and sign players. We did report on this earlier, earlier on in the process. But as a, as a refresher here, the Hawks don't have to do anything, but they certainly could look to the future if they wanted to create a roster spot by waving someone like Vince Carter. I'm not sure they're going to do anything, but uh, we talked about that previously, so go back and listen to that podcast. But that is definitely going to be happening, and now we know when it's going to be June 23rd through June 30th. Okay, before we get to the mailbag stuff on the podcast, um, I want to tell you that Locked On Podcast Network stands against racism and social injustice. That's why we, as the hosts on the network are making personal donations to local and national organizations that are fighting for change. And in the month of June, Locked On is matching the total of all host donations up to up to an additional $10,000. To make your donation alongside us, please visit LockedOnPodcast.com slash Black Lives Matter. LockedOnPodcast.com slash Black Lives Matter. This episode is brought to you by the good folks at Magic Spoon. Growing up, eating cereal was a no-brainer for me before school. And it was a big part of my diet beyond that. Eventually, though, I had to give it up for the most part with one of the big reasons being that cereals that I ate were full of sugar and stuff that you probably shouldn't be eating. So that isn't an issue with Magic Spoon, however, because Magic Spoon has zero sugar, 12 grams of protein, and only three net grams of carbs in each serving. There are also four amazing flavors to choose from, from cocoa, fruity, 
frosted and blueberry and honestly the taste is almost too good to be true especially with my personal favorite which is the blueberry flavor magic spoon is also keto friendly gluten-free grain-free soy free low carb and gmo free check out magic spoon by going to magicspoon.com nba to grab a variety pack to try today and be sure to use our promo code nba at checkout to get free shipping on your order Magic Spoon is also so confident in their product that it's backed by a 100% happiness guarantee. So if you don't like it for any reason, they'll refund your money. No questions asked. That's magicspoon.com slash MBA. Use the, use the promo code NBA for free shipping. Magicspoon.com slash NBA. All right, and we'll dig into the mailbag here a little bit in a continuation. As I said before, we did a mailbag show at the end of last week. So if you missed that, go back and catch, catch up on that. But uh, here we go. First question comes from Bobby, who says, I heard you talk about Bruno Fernando on the last podcast compared to the 2020 class. Can you do the same with DeAndre Hunter and Cam Reddish? Where would you have them ranked if they were in this class instead of last year? So for a bit of context, I'm going to talk about where I'd have Hunter and Reddish in the 2020 class, but I'm going to discuss both kind of knowing what we knew before the rookie season and what we know after, which are very different things. In this case, they're not as different as some cases are, but it's always important to sort of lay out the criteria. So we're going to kind of do both in this answer. If you were not around the podcast or following me or anything like that before last year's draft, as a refresher here, uh, I had Hunter and Reddish back to back in my rankings at five and six. I did have Hunter considerably ahead of Reddish, but still I was um, pretty high on both those guys um, behind the uh, quartet of Zion John Morant, Jarrett Culver, and R.J. Barrett in some order. Obviously, with Zion and Jaw clear, clear one and two. Um, I really like both guys and uh, Hunter Reddish. I talked about that quite a bit. Um, I think I was probably higher than the consensus on both guys, especially uh, on Hunter um, at that time. With that said, that still stands now, even with a year of uh, retrospect to go look back on it. Um, it, probably, it probably helped in terms of the ease of this podcast, the way I talked about it, because the Hawks basically could not draft Darius Garland and Kobe White, in my opinion, and I said that repeatedly. So if you cross those guys off, they were sort of the, con- the consensus guys who were usually in that top five, six, seven, alongside the guys I've already mentioned. And uh, But still, I liked, the, I liked Hunter Reddish more than those guys anyway, even without the Hawks' um, sort of situational standpoint. So... I didn't love the trade, obviously, that the Hawks made with New Orleans, but I've always liked Hunter and Reddish as prospects. Um, we talked about Hunter and Reddish sort of ad nauseum about the rookie seasons at this point in time, and I think people probably know how I feel in general, but there wasn't anything too surprising to me about either player in their first season. You know, Hunter didn't blow anybody away as a rookie, but he did, he did have some flashes, uh, made some shots at a solid clip. I think his shooting is a good, is a good encouraging factor, and I feel similarly to him, uh, similarly about him, I should say, as I did about a year ago at this point in time. I think I probably feel a little bit better about his offense, a little bit worse about his defense, but uh, all told, probably about the same, maybe a little bit a touchdown, but uh, nothing drastic there. Um, Reddish, of course, had the dreadful start of the season, which is something I actually saw coming, so it didn't really worry me too much. And then the injury issues that he had coming into the year, of course, played into that and uh, all that stuff. But Cam showed a lot in the last couple of months, and he's really, really talented, quite obviously. It also helped the defense was really good almost almost immediately, and I, I continue to like him quite a bit as well. So that kind of lays the groundwork for the, way, the rest of this answer. Um, as for translating them to 2020, I think the short answer would be that I like both guys more than the vast majority of this class, which shouldn't be a surprise. I don't love this class overall, and I did like both these guys, obviously. Um, only pre-NBA, so you know, take my, I'm trying to put myself in the position where I was a year ago and their stock before being drafted, I think I can make the case for Hunter Reddish as high as like two or three in this class, both of those guys. I think I don't think either of them would slide out of my top six, almost certainly. Um, the only guy that I definitely would have had ahead of them um, is Lamella Ball, who is number one for me in this class. I think Anthony Edwards 
consensus-wise, would probably be ahead of both those players, but um, I'm a little bit lower in Edwards, which we talked about ad nauseum, and we'll keep talking about, I'm sure, as we get going here. But I think the upside of Edwards is worth pointing out here, and probably the reason why he would go higher um, than Hunter and Reddish, and that's defensible, to be sure. With that said, I think... I basically would have had Hunter and Reddish in the same tier as like guys like Killian Hayes and, and, and Yuckhead Kongwu. Maybe if you really like Denny Abdia or James Wiseman, maybe you had those guys up there as well. Um, I definitely would have had Hunter ahead of guys like Vassell and, and Isaac Okoro and Tyrese Halliburton and Obi Toppin. And I think that's probably, you know, for the most part the same or maybe similar for Reddish. If you could start talking about, you know, Reddish versus Vassell in terms of safety, Vassell was probably safer, et cetera, et cetera. But those guys, I think ultimately I would have had Hunter Reddish a little bit higher than that than the guys in those tier in that tier. And by the way, I'm talking about these guys in a non-Hawks context, just kind of where I have them on the big board. The Hawks obviously um, prioritized and probably should have prioritized defense the way they did, building around Trey Young and John Collins, and that's kind of where they leaned into um, guys like Hunter Reddish on the wing. So keep that in mind as well when you go through this. But this is I'm, I'm talking generally, uh, sort of big board style, and I'll factor in Hawks a little bit as we get going on this answer, but. Um, now that we have another year of um, sort of data and age to build in here, I think Hunter has to drop a little bit just because of his age more than anything. He'll be 23 in December, which is not like crazy, crazy old. He's not that much older than Obi Toppin, for instance. With that said, I think you have to slide him in uh, probably, for me, probably behind Hayes and Nkongwu. That's kind of my, my third, second tier um, alongside Anthony Edwards. It's LaMelo Ball and then that, that three-player tier of Edwards, um, Hayes, and Nkongwu in some order. So I think you probably have to slide Hunter in probably fifth for me in this draft if you factor in uh, the rookie season as part of the calculus, which is definitely different than where he was a year ago. And you could make the argument that he'd be somewhere in the same tier as someone like Devin Vassell um, if you wanted to be a little bit more skeptical of Hunter. But I still buy Hunter, to be sure, and uh, and what he can do. Reddish is not that young compared to the incoming class. He is younger than Toppin by a lot. But other than that, um, he'll be 21 in September. So it's not like he's like, he'd be pretty, he'd probably be a little bit on the older side if he was in this class a uh, year after being drafted. But still, I think I saw enough to where I'd probably have him number two or number three in this year's draft after one year in the NBA. I think Melo would be ahead of him still, but uh, I could certainly argue Reddish against Edwards, frankly. Now, keep that, keep in mind here that I'm a little bit lower on Edwards. I'm, I'm sure the consensus would be that Edwards would be ahead of Reddish, but regardless, uh, you know, somewhere in that 3-4 range for Reddish, and I think you're probably reading this into um, with my answer, but I, I would have Reddish ahead of Hunter in a redraft um, in part because of age. Um, that's probably the biggest factor, and just Reddish's, uh, I think Reddish's ceiling is a little bit higher overall. I still like Hunter, and uh, there you go on that, but I think I think positional value-wise, you could probably have Reddish ahead of Okongwu, for instance, because of the positional stuff, and the wings are just more valuable if they can play on both ends of the floor, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. so this is definitely unscientific, to be honest with you, and it's hard to get, um, even in my own head 12 months ago, to get a real answer on what I actually feel and trying to sort of translate year by year. I try to do this all, uh, sometimes to sort of recalibrate on how I feel about a class, but this year's class is not great. And by the way, just as a reminder, the 2019 class was not considered to be a great draft. The difference between 2019 and 2020 is that the 2019 class had legitimate star power in definitely Zion and probably Ja. Um, that was kind of the way that I, I mean, even R.J. Barrett, I think, would go number one in the class. Um, and I, I was never the biggest R.J. Barrett fan, but I think, um, if not number one, he would definitely be a strong number two behind LaMelo um, based on what we saw in college, and I wasn't even over the moon about Barrett. So 
Keep that in mind. I just want to sort of calculate that 2018 was far better in terms of the overall class than 2019 and 2020, which is the Trey Young draft, of course. Um, but yeah, keep that all in mind. I, I think this year, and I've been saying this over and over again, 2020 class is brutal, but most of that is because the top's kind of bad. Whereas last year was not great either, but at least you had Zion, at least you had Ja, and you can probably bank on some star power there in a way this class uh, pretty much can't outside of maybe Lamella Ball. So. There you go. I think you should probably be happy as Hawks fans to sort of wrap his answer up still with the way that things went. Obviously, the trade is something different for Hunter, but in terms of just prospects with Hunter and Reddish, I think obviously the Reddish pick at 10 looks great at this point in time, in my opinion, um, especially without having to trade up for him. And then Hunter, I am not giving up on any way, shape, or form. So there you go on that, and hopefully that answers the question uh, in full. Okay, before we get to uh, some more mailbag stuff, a word from the good folks at Blinkist, because it's hard to find the time to sit down and read and learn more. When you don't have the free time, you can't work or re- work or read on personal development. There is an incredible app, though, that solves that problem. It's one of the ultimate life hacks, and I highly recommend it. It's called Blinkist. Blinkist is unique. It works on your phone, your tablet, your web browser. It takes the best key takeaways from thousands of nonfiction books and brings them down to just 15 minutes that you can read or listen to. It's a huge plus for busy people like you who just want to get the main points of a book in a hurry so you can start using that info immediately. With its audio feature, Blinkist makes it easy to finish your book during your commute, on your lunch break, or even while you're exercising. 12 million people are already using Blinkist right now as a massive growing library that features all kinds of varied offerings. Blinkist also has the latest titles from bestsellers and classic nonfiction options that you always meant to read but never could actually find the time to open. And with Blinkist, you get unlimited access to read or listen to the entire library, all the books you want, and all for one low price. Right now, for a limited time, Blinkist has a special offer just for our audience as well. Go to Blinkist.com slash NBA to try it free for seven days and say 25% off of a new subscription. That's Blinkist, spelled B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T. Blinkist.com slash MBA to start a seven-day free trial. And from there, you'll also save 25% off, but only when you sign up at Blinkist.com slash MBA. Blinkist.com slash NBA. All right, we're back with one more mailbag question to touch on this uh, Start of the Week podcast. And it comes from a listener named Ryan who says, I've seen a few fake trades on the internet. Always a dangerous thing. That's that's what I'm saying, by the way. Um, I've seen a few fake, fake trades on the internet involving the Warriors, and it got me wondering... Would you trade John Collins for the number one or number two pick in this draft? It feels like it might make sense for the Hawks if they didn't want to pay John. And if it was the Warriors, they might want the safe guy to put with their stars instead of risking something in the draft. Okay, uh, I have to say, I chuckled when I got when I got this question because it's been a topic, um, at least tangentially, that's come up in Peachtree Hoop Slack before. And uh, for the second straight podcast, I have to shout out my good pal Andrew Kelly from Peachtree Hoops, who I always love talking about the draft and stuff with. Um, he's on the other side of the argument with me on this one. Um, so we've, we've had this back and forth before in some forms, but I'll try to lay it out as coherently as possible. Uh, my short answer here would be that no, I would not trade Collins for the number one or number two pick in this draft, with the caveat that it's at least possible, again, possible to make the trade if you wanted to flip the pick for something else. But we'll touch on that here in a second. Um, there are lots of layers to this discussion, and uh, in a vacuum, it, I get that it might seem crazy not to trade Collins for the number one overall pick in the draft, especially if he hits free agency next summer, which obviously is going to be the case once he signs an extension, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, and you know, there's that shine that comes with, with being number one overall pick. And I think if you were listening to this outside of Atlanta, you might be even more surprised about my answer here. But I'm gonna try to explain it the best that I can. Um, if this draft was closer to a normal or maybe even a better than normal draft and had a legitimate game changer available, like a Zion or Carl Anthony Towns or a Luka or Anthony Davis, a clear number one prospect. This class has LaMelo. I have LaMelo number one, but I think if you look around the internet, there's enough There's enough of a uh, pushback to that where I think we cannot say that LaMelo is a consensus number one. He is my number one. 
There has to be number one somewhere. But I don't think I don't I don't I don't think Lamelo is quite on the level of guys that I just named. Just to back that up with some more evidence there. Um, if that if this draft would, had some, something like that, it'd be a lot easier to be to be arguing on behalf of trading Collins for a player like that. Obviously, there is no such thing as an absolute lock to be that kind of player. Um, I guess maybe short of LeBron. Um, but it's one of those things where there are certain talents that you're more confident in than others. I think the guys that I just named are on that list. Lamelo is not quite on that level. I think um, that's fair to say, even to someone who like who likes Lamelo. So, with all that said, Collins does have some finishers in the ba- in a vacuum as well. You could cash that in, I guess, in theory for um, sort of the safety that he brings. You cash that in for the swing of the upside on a true generational prospect. I totally understand that, especially when you're talking about the value proposition of a guy. And Collins is sort of a tweener in some ways. He's also uh, entering his fourth year, you have to pay him probably $100 million next summer, etc. There's lots of different factors that would tell you that maybe in a vacuum, trading Collins might be a good idea. More practically, though, this is where I have to assign my practical common sense brain to this, is that this is not a good draft, or even an average draft, and Collins, uh, to put it very, very bluntly and shortly, is very, very good at basketball. So that's keep that in mind through all this process. Um, again, I have Lamelo at number one. I feel pretty good about that. After that, it gets less clear, and even with that, obviously, as I said before, people disagree with me and have other guys at number one. Um, my number two, in terms of just value in this class, is probably Edwards, but mostly for trade, for, mostly for trade purposes. Um, and I think a lot of people have Edwards number one, and that's defensible. I, I will say that. It's defensible to me. But he's not a guy, I'm talking about Edwards now, he's not a guy that I would have as a top two prospect in most classes. I think Edwards is more like a second tier prospect. Maybe along the lines of what like Jarrett Culver was last year, um, something like that. Um, maybe that's, I'm, I was very high in Culver just for the record. But still, I don't think Edwards. If you go through all the drafts in the last twenty years, I think there are more drafts than not where he would not be a top three pick for me, uh, in terms of just purely on what we know right now. So to set the stage a little bit more here, even if you love Lamelo, and I do like Lamelo quite a bit, even if you were just in love with him like Tower Jones was on last week, last week last week's podcast, there's people that love Lamelo, and I totally get that. Even if you did love him, it's probably safe to point out that he's not a perfect fit in Atlanta with Trey Young. I know it can work. I've I've defended it, and Tower I know is all in on it. There's people that like that fit a lot, um, and again I've defended. It. I think it, I think it absolutely can work, but at some point in time, it isn't a perfect fit between those two guys. And at number one overall, he would still be the only guy I want to take in this class. Um, but it wouldn't be as exciting for me at number one overall as the Hawks as it would be for some other teams. Given that the question, going back to the question itself, was about number one or number two, I'm going to guess, this was not part of the question, I'm going to guess that Edwards was at least part of the consideration, the theory of the question, because I think, um, all told, Edwards is the player that I hear most from Hawks fans on as the guy they want in this class. That's not, again, I'm not saying all, I'm saying most. I think if you line up all all of my mentions and comments and things that I've been asked or told, I think Edwards is the guy that most, maybe not most, but I would say more than any other player, he's the guy that Hawks fans seem to want if the Hawks land at the top of the draft. For a variety of reasons, positional, local product, et cetera, et cetera. But, to put it very candidly, I would not trade Collins for Edwards. That's just—it's not a one-on-one necessarily, but um, just this is—that's that's probably the easiest one for me. Is I would not trade Collins for Edwards, and I don't think it's that close. Just for me. Now there are pros and cons to that kind of swap. Um, on the pro side, Edwards has the cost control. He's younger, and um, you know, positionally, you would ideally, if you knew Edwards was going to work out, you would want a you know a big power wing with all kinds of skills. 
more so than a combo big, even if it's a really good combo big, unless you're an absolute like game-changing superstar, which Collins probably isn't going to be. I don't love Edwards, though, obviously, and from expected value standpoint, I think Edwards is only a better player than Collins or a more valuable player than Collins. Um, not that often. Like, it's definitely less than 50%. Maybe you want to say 30%, 25%, however you want to say that. I think if you factor in the absolute, this is something that people often ignore when considering this kind of hypothetical, is that we already know for a 100% certainty that John, Gall- that John Collins is a very good NBA player. We know that already right now. It's uh, it's 100% lock that he's a good NBA player. And he's 22 years old. It's not like a 27-year-old guy. He's 22 years old. We know he's really good. Whereas Edwards... Is Edwards' ceiling higher than Collins? Yeah, it is, because Edwards is someone who has you know a, a whole package of interesting, interesting traits, and he's also a position that's just much more valuable in a in a vacuum than what Collins is. With that said, Edwards could bust. We know Collins is not going to bust, and I think expected value wise, even if even if Edwards doesn't bust and just is just like an okay, like his median his median outcome, his expected value is far low is far lower in my opinion than Collins, because Collins, we already know, is a fringe all-star. Um, even if he just never, never gets any better, this is his best season of all time, which I'm not I'm not projecting that, but even if he's just the same guy he was this last year, maybe a, li- a little bit worse, that's still like a top 50 player in the league. And we don't know by any stretch if Edwards is ever going to get there, much less as quickly or as long as Collins. So all that said, the calculus is different for me at number one overall for a couple of reasons when compared to number two. For one, I like Ball more than Edwards. So in a vacuum or with the Hawks, I still like Ball more than Edwards. And Ball is the guy who I have in his own mini tier at the top. For another, there's more trade value at number one overall than number two overall. Now, I know if you're making this kind of trade, if you're Travis Schlenk, you're probably doing it with a player in mind. I don't think they're gonna I don't think you're gonna trade for the number one pick, number one overall pick without someone you like to pick in that spot. But the easiest way to maybe sell me on a trade of Collins for number one would be for trade value purposes. If you if you immediately want to flip that pick, like for instance, the example from the question from Ryan was the Warriors, and Golden State is the only really the only win now team, right in the entire lottery. Frankly, is Golden State because they're set up to win right now. They have Steph, they have Clay, they have Draymond, etc. Is it possible the Warriors want to trade number one for Collins? Sure, it is because. If you're the Warriors and you, and you don't love a prospect in this class, and there's not a, really a guy in this class that's going to help the Warriors anytime soon, in my opinion, because even the guys like Lamelo might take a little bit of time to help the Warriors legitimately win at the highest levels. Could they want to flip that into John Collins? That makes sense to me, sure. Then, on the other side, is it possible the Hawks could flip that pick number one overall for a package that they actually prefer to Collins? Sure. That's actually possible, too, because especially if the Hawks decided, and we don't know this, but if for the, for the question purposes, because it was in the question... If the Hawks decide that, that they were not going to pay John Collins, maybe you, whatever you get for number one in a trade would be something that they would prefer to have rather than John Collins. So there's a lot of ifs there, but it's hard to project that. It's just one of those things. And yes, could they maybe flip the number one pick for something better? I I, I totally understand that. But in, in practicality, it'd be pretty shocking to me if the Hawks traded John Collins for the number one pick and, th- and then trade the number one pick for something else. It's not impossible, but... That's uh, a tough one for me to project. So overall, I think my answer is a pretty clear no on a number on a deal for this for number one over two. Uh, sorry, number one or number two. If Edwards is the target, I- I'm just on record. I would rather have Collins, even going into year four of a rookie contract, than I would than I would Anthony Edwards going into his rookie season. That might be controversial. I'm sure it is in some circles, but that kind of just tells you how I feel about that that particular swap. Um, 
it'd be easier to talk yourself into it with ball because of at least if you if you had the board that I do and you had ball number one, the deal makes a little bit more sense. But even that, I personally would not trade Collins for the, for the number one pick to draft anyone in this draft. If you throw in a scenario where you trade the number one pick for something else, maybe it's in play. But I would rather have John Collins than any player, any one player in this draft. And that includes LaMelo. As the Hawks, by the way. I'm talking about as the Hawks. Now, if you were a team like, I don't know, Detroit or New York, and you didn't have your guy to create shots, you didn't have your number one go-to offensive option in the way the Hawks do, could you, could you, could, would I be on the other side of this? Probably. If I was Detroit or, you know, pick a team, I guess the Knicks or whoever doesn't have your number one perimeter option, if you have John Collins in that situation, you can flip him. If you're already bad and you're flipping him for a rookie scale contract, Lamella Ball, that is totally defensible and I would understand it. But for the Hawks, they have Trey Young already and they're, they're trying to win a little bit sooner than those teams are. And that sort of informs the calculus as well. So, in the end, I don't have calls to any other player in this class, which kind of tells you my answer uh, is a no overall. So I know for a fact that this this kind of question is going to produce arguments on all sides. That's kind of the nature of this one, and I, I was I was almost almost hesitant to answer it, but I feel like it was fun. And uh, what else are we doing here in June? But um, I think it's probably safe to say that I'm a little bit higher on Collins than the national consensus. Even though locally, you know, it's kind of hard, it's kind of hard to tell where I am sometimes. But I think I'm I'm definitely higher on John than a typical national basketball observer. I'll say that because I've just seen him a lot more. Obviously, uh, the Hawks were not, other than Trey, who got some attention, of course, the Hawks were not prime ticket viewing for national people this year. And I think Collins is just really underrated for what he's been able to do offensively. Um, I'm also I'm also probably a little bit lower on this draft overall, even when acknowledging that I think everyone knows it's kind of a rough prospect uh, group overall. So there are, definitely, there are definitely some different schools of thought on the whole thing. If you viewed, for instance... Anthony Edwards is a legitimately elite prospect on the wing. If you thought that he was actually in that number one overall mix in a normal draft, which people do think, by the way, and I'm not trying to kill those people by any means, I think uh, if you if you really thought Edwards was a clear number one in this class and you bought and you bought him as a legitimate number one wing option, then you probably view this differently because you just believe in that. And you know, arch- archetypally, I would certainly understand wanting to trade a combo big in Collins with some defensive questions and some other stuff for what you believe. If you believe this, if you, for, if you believe Anthony Edwards could be the best player on a good team on the wing, that is a, that is a archetype that is more valuable than what Collins probably is going to bring. But I just don't see that in Edwards. That's not how I view him. So that kind of informs me a little bit on this. And it might just come down to how you feel about all the players involved. If you're lower on Collins, you probably want to trade him in this kind of package. If you're higher on Collins, you wouldn't want to trade him in this kind of package, but it's not a vacuum. That's the thing I was going to bring things full circle here. If you just told me John Collins for a you know an average number one overall pick in the draft, like just in a vacuum, that is really interesting for the Hawks. I think it's that that's a lot closer. That's probably maybe even leaning a little bit towards the pick. But this is not a vacuum. This is a one year thing. It's 2020. There are real players involved. Um, you know, guys like Zion and Towns or your typical number one overall prospect, they're not there. You're trading him in this case, barring some Hail Mary trade, you're trading him for the mellow ball or Anthony Edwards, or someone like James Wiseman, if you love him, whoever the guy is, you're trading it for someone in this class, and uh, it's not a vacuum. It's not a hypothetical, there you go on that. It's kind of all I would stress to you is that it's not It's not a, um, the value outcome is not always the same in every single draft. Last year's number one overall pick is worth a, was worth, before the draft, a lot, a lot, a lot more than this year's number one overall pick, because last year, 
if you had the number one pick, if the Pelicans could have traded or would have traded that pick, they would have gotten a King's ransom for that pick because Zion was that kind of prospect. This year, whoever gets number one, you know, there's always going to be some value in the number one overall pick as a trade chip. But if you just lined up the uh, the offers, I'm sure that whoever that team is, uh, <laughs> I can promise you that last year's number one number one overall pick was worth a lot more than this year's. And uh, just keep that in mind when you're doing any calculation, by the way, about this draft. You know, take Collins out of it. If you're someone who, there's a sort of a separate one that we'll probably tackle on later as we wrap up the podcast. But if the Hawks get in like the third pick or the fourth pick, I'm sure people will be asking me about them trading up to number one to take whoever. That's going to happen, I'm sure. And uh, all I will say is the price this year will be a lot lower than the price would have been last year. Obviously, the Hawks had to go from eight. But even if the Hawks had gotten the third pick last year and someone said, all right, trade up for Zion, what's it going to take? It would have taken a lot more than it was going to take this year to get up to take, you know, Ball or Edwards or Wiseman or whoever else that you want at the top of the draft. Okay, that was rambling, but hopefully you guys understood where I was on that and uh, my ultimate answer on Collins. And uh, as always, most of these draft hypotheticals were just not going to happen. So keep that in mind, too, as we process uh, through this uh, incredibly long hiatus between anything happening in Hawksland. Okay. Thanks for listening to the podcast. As always, please take a second, if you can, to subscribe to the show. Also, leave five-star feedback if you enjoy the podcast and tell your friends about the show. I promise you probably have a Hawks fan friend that's not listening to the show. And if you do, um, at least have them try it. If they hate it, that's okay. But uh, have them give it a chance. I really appreciate everybody's support and patronage during this time. Subscribe, and we'll see everybody later on in the week.